All right, you ready to get into the Word? All right, here we go. Here we go. We have been in uh, a series called Wisdom for Life. Wisdom for Life. Everyone say, Wisdom for Life. Wisdom for life, and it, we have been going through for several weeks through each of the warnings and the rewards that are outlined in Psalm 1. The book of Psalms, Psalms is just the word for songs, um, but we might also translate it as prayers. It's like a book of prayers that could be said or could be sung to the Lord, and Psalm 1 is not just another song, but it's actually an instruction manual. It's a guide to how we might pray, how we might sing, um, and how we might pattern our life. It's really a guide to the blessed life. It's wisdom for life, and it describes life the way God intends for you and me. God has good intentions for us. He has good intentions for us. He's not a far-off Guy with white hair in the clouds, watching the clock, ready to slap wrists or thump heads. He has good intentions for us. And this wisdom, let's say it together. So, and I have encouraged everyone to uh, take, try their hand at memorizing this, um, but for those uh, let's, it's all up here. Let's say it together. And I want you to really think, really connect your mind and your heart to your voice and say it with some gusto. Say it with some life in it. Like you actually believe it. No, I'm let's, let's, let's say it together. Let's proclaim God's word together. Here we go. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. That is amazing. God, we thank you, Lord, for your word and for your love, for your intentions towards us. And we've been going through a message on each of the warnings about walking not in the counsel of the ungodly or standing in the path of sinners or sitting in the seat of the scornful. And we've been going through a message uh, teaching on each of the rewards that the reward, the blessing of being planted, the blessing of being fruitful. And today we're going to look at that um, that verse here, right there in Psalm 1-3-C, that we shall be, or he shall be, the psalmist is saying, that the, the one who is blessed, the one who meditates day and night, the one who soaks and delights in God's word and allows his word and the spirit to just penetrate and totally saturate his heart or her heart, her soul, her, her inner woman or his inner man, that we shall be like a tree whose leaf also shall not wither, whose leaf also shall not wither. Do I have any leafy folks in here? Isn't that a weird, a weird phrase, whose leaf also shall not wither? We can almost pass it by and miss the promise. What an amazing promise to be drought tolerant. 
Can we say that together? Drought tolerant. Droughts reveal our thirst. Because we're all thirsty. It's just that we drink a lot of water, or in some cases, a lot of soda. In some cases, we just get big 64-ounce glasses of pancreatic shock and call that... No, I'm okay. That's probably another message. But droughts reveal our thirst. They demonstrate our dependence on what is beyond our control. And as Californians, we probably should know something about drought. Um, What do droughts do? Right? Droughts are dangerous. Droughts kill the vulnerable, the vulnerable trees. Droughts threaten entire ecosystems. Droughts allow invasive species to become established. That's actually why most of these trees in this picture, this picture is taken up above Shaver Lake, which is about an hour and a half into the Sierras from Fresno. Um, uh, my wife's grandparents have had a cabin there since the 50s. And um, if, you, if you just walk out, you, you see instead of a lot of green trees, um, you see some green trees, but a lot of brown trees. And it, the drought from 2012 to 2017, kind of that five-year period, saw over 100 million trees in California die. That's about 10% of the total forest in California. And most of those deaths were from what? Beetles? Like, like a stink bug? No. They're little tiny bark beetles. Now, the bark beetles are probably not part of the fall, although they might be. I don't know. I'll leave that for the Bible scholars. Um, but the bark beetle is a, is, a, is a tiny beetle, and it burrows into the bark to lay its eggs. Now, usually that's not much of a big deal, uh, except because the, the, because the trees in their, in their, their cambium, that is the layer under the bark that where nutrients go up from the roots into the branches and trees. Um, there is lots of sap. So the trees make this sap, that gooey, gooey, sticky stuff, right? That when you lean up against a tree, um, it never comes out no matter what you do. I don't care what people say. There's no, there is no cleanser that can take out that sap. Well, when the bark beetles start going into the bark, the sap actually goes to that hole and pushes most of the beetles back out. And so not very many beetles can ever take build homes in any one tree. Well, when in drought conditions, the tree doesn't produce as much sap. And so the beetles go in all the way around. And once that that cambium layer is severed all the way around, even in one little area, the tree is dead. The tree dies because it can't get nutrients from one place to another. So drought conditions... Right? They allow invasive species to become established. And in, in human history, droughts have shaped and even destroyed civilizations. Now, a little closer to home, here's a picture of my son when he used to be cute. Now he has to wear deodorant. <laughs> a 
Okay, so a few years ago, this is, this is, uh, this is where we live in, uh, in Templeton, kind of out in the country a little bit on a piece of family property. Uh, and we were growing, uh, we decided to grow a giant pumpkin to enter into the uh, farm supply giant pumpkin contest. And this, uh, the, we came home from one day and like this, the plant covers, you know, 20 or 30 square feet. And it was really hot that day. And we had forgot to water the plant in the morning. And we came home, and all the leaves were just withered and laying on the ground. Um, and, you know, pumpkin plants don't take years to discover they're in drought conditions because they're really thirsty. They start to experience drought conditions in hours. And it, we, had to, we had to do a lot to nurture the plant back to health and cover the, the pumpkin with a sheet and bring out umbrellas um, over the leaves and really soak the, the, the ground with moisture in order to kind of revive it back. Um, and I want to say, if, if we were honest with ourselves today, we would recognize that in the words of the psalmist from Psalm 1, we're probably more like the pumpkin plant than the forest tree. The forest tree might take years to discover or to really you to see the effects of drought, but we're probably more like a pumpkin plant. Like the psalmist says that we have to meditate day and night in God's word. We have to stay so connected, so abiding with God's word and in his spirit because we will begin to experience drought conditions and our desiring thirst, our thirst will overwhelm us even within hours or days like a pumpkin plant. But the good news is that Jesus knows us. Jesus knows our thirst. And he also knows the water sources or the wells that we draw from that really don't satisfy us at all. And that's why, but his intentions for us are not that we would stay in the place always working for our next drink. Always working for our next drink. His desire for us is to satisfy our thirst on the inside once and for all. So we're going to take a look at a passage just as we look at um, how Jesus met and dealt with and handled and cared for somebody in drought conditions. And this is from John chapter 4. We're going to take a look at five verses from John chapter 4, verses 10 to 15. Um, This is just a little excerpt from the the passage where... um, he meets the woman at the well. And this is not going to be a comprehensive teaching on the woman at the well story. Um, we're just going to take a look at five verses. And just to set, you, set some context, um, Jesus made a detour and went through Samaria. And the Jews and the Samaritans were not really on speaking terms. They had some, they, they didn't, they, uh, they had some deep-seated generational 
difficulties with one another. And Jesus detours, he goes through Samaria, and it's the middle of the day, and he goes to the well. Because people, we didn't have sewer systems and plumbing, and so people would have to go to the well um, at the edge of the town or wherever the well was and gather water for the day and bring it back to their homes. And many of the women who would go to the well to get water would go early in the morning when it wasn't hot. But this woman went during the middle of the day, in the heat of the day, because she had a reputation. She was not welcome with the other women. She had a stigma or a label attached to her. And so she came at a different time of the day when nobody else would be around. And Jesus happened to meet her there um, in the middle of in the heat of the day. And he asks her for a drink. And that... Uh, um, poses a difficulty um, because the woman is shocked. She's taken aback. Um, she doesn't really know what to make of that situation because Jesus crosses ethnic barriers. He crosses social customs and norms that had to do with what men and women would do for and how they would relate to one another in public settings. And so he steps into that place um, and she responds almost in a mistrustful, a lack, uh, she responds as if this may be a danger posed to her. Um, and she says, what are you doing asking me for a drink? Drought conditions. Drought conditions. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God, and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. I just want to stop there just for a moment. Some of you today, if you only knew the gift, the grace of God standing in this room, and his name is not Jeff Bauer, if you only knew the gift and grace of God standing in this room with us, available to you, not ready to wag his finger at you, but waiting for you to ask the question you've been really need the answer to, the question that is tied to the drought conditions of your soul. If you would only ask the question, he is ready right now, today, in this moment, to give you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with, <laughs> and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Like, what you talk about, fool? <laughs> right? Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water, and he's, he's pointing at the well, right? You can see him, not angrily, I'm probably getting too intense because I'm, I just, I'm, my amp's always on 11, right? I'm always a little loud. I got to recalibrate, okay. He says, Whoever drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst. But the water that I shall give him will become in him 
a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water that I may not thirst nor come here to draw. The woman had been in and out of several relationships. She had a reputation. She had a label. She was stuck seeing life a certain way through her ethnicity, her gender, her literal or her unspiritual mind. You can see in that conversation, she's relating to Jesus as a man that she may not trust. She's relating to the well and as a physical well. And Jesus is talking with her about spiritual things, about the mystery, the wonder, the 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 wonder of God's love, the, the, the kingdom that has drawn near to her in that moment. And in this moment, right, she was thirsty physically. That's why she was there. But she was also thirsty spiritually. And her thirsts had come together and had been so close that Jesus could make some illustrations, could allow her to see her physical thirst was really very similar to her spiritual thirst, and that as she came to this well to satisfy her physical thirst, he had come and met her there to satisfy her spiritual thirst. And that's why, I mean, why God has asked us, right, uh, and given us instruction to fast, so that we can see and come to terms with the fact that in our physical bodies, when we experience hunger and thirst, it gives us an idea and understanding that our souls really do thirst. They thirst constantly. Your heart thirsts constantly. Now, you may have a lot easier access to other social wells to satisfy the thirst or to mask the thirst of your soul or to get little drinks that might give you a relief for a few minutes or a few hours or maybe a few days. But this woman was acutely aware of her thirst because of the drought conditions in her life. And if we were honest with ourselves, we truly are just as thirsty as this woman. A desiring thirst is universal. Jesus is not saying you'll never experience the sensation of thirst. He's saying that apart from him, that our desiring thirst will become despairing. Maybe today, maybe tomorrow, but our desiring thirst, our our want of water, whether it's physical or spiritual, our want of of peace in our soul, our want of mercy, our want of worth, our want of forgiveness, our want of love and to, to, and to be loved, our want will become despairing. Now, we may go to the places, we may watch enough movies, we might eat enough food, we might surround ourselves with enough just fun and activities and sports and club sports and kids sports and TV sports and extreme sports and every other manner of activity enough to mask the true and despairing thirst our souls feel. And we may get some relief for a few minutes, a few hours, or a few days. 
But I am here to tell you that you will, if you haven't already, you will find yourself in a place where the wells have dried up. You will find yourself in drought conditions. And where are you going to go? What well are you going to draw from when there is no water down there? If you only knew the gift, the grace that has walked and stands with you at the well you've been drawing from. What wells are you drawing from? What wells do we draw from? You know, in Psalm 1, the psalmist warns us of some wells. The wells of ungodly counsel. The wells of the path of sinners. The wells of the seat of the scornful or those who mock God and mock his love and mock his truth. You know, some theologians see that, that, that list of three as a progression so let me, um, I've taken it upon myself, and let me give you a, um, a paraphrase of what that progression might sound like. The wells of ungodly counsel grow into destructive patterns of behavior, and when those patterns still leave us despairing from thirst, we mock and become bitter. The wells of ungodly counsel grow into destructive patterns of behavior, and when those patterns still leave us, despairing from thirst, we mock and become bitter. The well of ungodly counsel. This is not just the practical stuff. It's not just whether you should refi your house or which restaurant to go to or which school even to send your kids to. Ungodly counsel are the lies we believe. We draw from wells that feed us lies. Let me give you an example. This woman was drawing from the shame well. Put her bucket down, and up comes, I am not worthy of love. Put her bucket down, I am a failure. I deserve the pain in my life. I need to look out for myself because no one else will. I am fending for myself and it's up to me. I need to get the house or the car or the job or the husband or the weight loss goal to measure up. I'm reaching down and I'm pulling up lie after lie after lie after lie. And for a second, that water feels like it's going to bring relief to my soul. But a minute later, I am despairing of thirst again. Maybe for you, and this is probably the well I drew most from, that I am most at risk to go back to. It's the pride well. I reach down and I take a drink of, I know better. I know better. I know better than you. I know better than my wife. I know better than my kids. I know better than the guy who's telling me something I don't want to hear. I pull up the bucket and I drink you're not going to tell me what to do. I know none of you have ever said that in your monologue of your mind. You're, who do you think? You're not telling me what to do. Here's another one. Those rules do not apply to me. Another bucket. You all can take the long way, but I'm taking this shortcut. Here's another bucket. It's not my fault. It is not my fault. 
another bucket. Those people deserve what they have coming. It's the pride well. What about the lust or the appetite of the flesh well? Reach down that bucket and pull up. I need this. And I don't care what happens. Pull down the bucket. I want that and I want it now. Even if it means more credit card debt. Put down the bucket. I wish I had what she has. She's so lucky. Reach down the bucket. I need this to feel good about myself. I have to have this. And, you know, with all I've been through lately, I've earned this. I deserve it. I know nobody said that. Reach down the bucket, and we drink that lie. And for a moment, our soul forgets its thirst. But a few minutes later, we're more thirsty than we were before. You know, these aren't just lies we tell ourselves. We actually enjoy sharing this stuff with each other. Because we really, in some ways, we just want permission to feel the way we already feel. And we even call it comforting one another. But there's no comfort that you can draw from these wells. There's no comfort in this. This is commiserating. It is joining in the misery with somebody else. And joining in the misery is a lot easier than comfort. Because see, comfort is attentive and honest about another's pain, another's sin, another's trauma. Comfort is attentive and listens, heartfelt, and is moved with compassion. But comfort, true comfort, is also honest about the mercy for that sin, is honest about the healing for the pain, is honest about the compassion of the living God, is honest about the truth that will set you free. True comfort is true. Jesus came to truly comfort you and me, to permanently quench our thirst, not by stopping the thirst, but by satisfying it. By satisfying our thirst. Now, I want to brag on my wife here for a minute. She's not in the room, so I'm safe. Um, my wife is probably one of the most drought-tolerant people I know. And before we had kids, she had a job where literally every well dried up. And, I mean, the people at the job, it, it's like they, it was like they turned against her. They started to undermine her authority. They were ridiculing her. They were making fun of her. They were gossiping about her. They were trying to get her out of the position. And, I mean, you know, she would, she would relate to the corporate office, and the corporate office supported her, sort of. I mean, and was... Uh, um, at least, you know, uh, they supported her in name, but they didn't really come out and allow her or give her the authority to do much about the situation. And so day in and day out, I mean, you go to a place over and over and you're spending 10 hours a day, five days a week, 50 hours a week in a place where literally nobody likes you. I know no one in here has ever experienced such a drought, Right? And I, and I mean, I remember reading some of the things in texts and emails and things that like, staff 
coworkers said about her. And I'm thinking, are you out of your mind? Like, are you talking about the same person? Like, my wife is one of the kindest and most gentle people on the planet. I mean, to put up with me, hello. <laughs> right? No, I mean, but in all seriousness, she really is a kind person. And you, I was reading this, and I'm like, this is, I mean, these are lies. And I'm getting, I mean, my, I'm getting angry. And I remember one day, I was working uh, at the tech company, at Tech Tegrity, and I had stepped out uh, to take a phone call from her. This was probably mid-morning. And uh, she says, Jeff, um, can, I, can I be your assistant? And I totally missed the mark. I mean, I, didn't, I did not get the situation. I was the opaque, dense husband who did not recognize the the emotions that were present in that question, and I said something, you know, really humorous and calloused. Um, Babe, you already are. (laughs) Right? Uh, And then when I heard the the tears start to well up on the phone, I was like, "Uh uh-oh, I just stepped in it. Um, So uh, we went home and, and... Took the rest. I think I took the rest of the day off. We we uh, and sat and we just began to talk and unpack and talk about you know the wells that had dried up at her job and then um, really turned to God. If you really are living water, then she's going to need to be able to depend on the joy and the kindness and the strength and the support from you on the inside um, because she really knew she knew that God had opened that door. She had and had called her to this work. Um, and, and the work was by almost every other measure aside by this very successful and uncommonly successful in her field. And, and when, and she made it all the way to the end of that assignment. And when Aaron was born and she went off and she talked to, uh, you know, the, the corporate office and said, you know, I am, I'm done with this season. Um, and they had hired somebody to replace her. She got a, uh, an, an, she got a letter of recommendation from the CEO that she didn't ask for. And it just simply said, um, if you ever want a job here, the door is always open. And I am, you know, I am just honoring your character and the way you handled a difficult situation. If anyone ever wants to know, you can give them my, my phone number. I will gladly, even if it's 10 years from now, I will gladly be a reference for you. And it was just a testimony of what a person who is drawing from the living water within can do and can be even when all the wells are dry. Jesus tells the woman in verse 14, he says, but the water that I shall give you will become in you a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. Did you see that? Did you see what he said? Jesus becomes the well. He moves the well. 
Jesus moves the well from a place we have to walk to, controlled by a system we are beholden to, in in a space that is dangerous to us. Jesus moves the well for our soul to a safe place, out of reach from any world system, to a place that is always available, always where we are, and the well travels with us because he's inside of us. And Jesus did more than move the well, Jesus becomes the well. And when Jesus becomes our well, the well is transformed into a fountain. See, the well requires us to work for the water, to put down the bucket and pull it out again. This is symbolic of works and merit and performance and privileging the strong and those with status and reinforcing the mindset of scarcity because water that is pulled up has to be conserved, it has to be carried, and it can't be spilled. But water from him is a fountain. It doesn't have to be conserved, it doesn't have to be carried, and spilling is fun! Water from a fountain is available to you regardless of your ability, and it doesn't depend on your strength. A fountain brings its water to you apart from your effort at all, and the supply is inexhaustible. You see, a well can be polluted by throwing something in it, but a fountain can't be polluted because the water is always coming out. Positive pressure from the source keeps the water pure. It keeps the water fresh. It keeps the water living. That is what he meant when he said living water. He meant running water. Living water is not like the standing water in the bottom of a well. But it's running water, which is infinitely more valuable. Towns and villages used to flock and try and find the place where there would be fountains, water that would be always flowing, infinitely more valuable than a well. This water, living water, is living in quality, it's living in quantity, and it's living in its delivery to you. Because wherever there is living water, the living water of Jesus Christ, the living water of the gospel, the living water of his word and his precepts and his intentions and his purpose, the living water of his very person, miracles flow, the miraculous happens, supernatural joy that you can't come up with, you can't earn, and you can't draw from another well, supernatural freedom, supernatural healing, supernatural supply, true prosperity delivered within you, prospering for the soul delivered within you, delivered through you to me, delivered through me to you. The living water is Jesus inside us. This is what the prophets talked about in Isaiah, in Jeremiah, in Zechariah. They, they, that transforming the well, the water source, the place where we would come to get what we need, transforming the well into a supernatural fountain was a prophesied work of the Messiah. Numerous scriptures throughout the, the, uh, the prophets in the Old Testament talked about this. I'm going to give you one. This is Isaiah chapter 35, verses 5 through 7. Isaiah 35, 5 through 7. This is from the Good News Translation. The blind will be able to see, and those in silence will hear sound. The disabled will leap and dance, and those who cannot speak will shout for joy. Streams of water will flow through their deserts. The mirage of burning sands will become a lake. And the dry land will be filled with living springs. Where jackals used to live, marsh grass and flowering reeds will grow. 
I love that, the mirage of burning sands. See, the wells that we go to, the lies that we believe, the sources that we run to and stick our buckets in is like the mirage of burning sands. It looks like a lake, but there's no real comfort in it. There's no real peace in it. There's no real healing in it. But he said the mirage of burning sands will become an actual lake. The dry land will be filled with living springs. And, you know, jackals, they live in the desert. They live and they make their homes under rock overhangs. And they have to travel to watering holes, much like the woman in our passage had to travel to the outskirts of town to a well, much like we go to all the external things and all the, the wells of shame and pride and appetites of our flesh. We go to those wells to bring up water like the mirage of burning sands. And imagine this parched land now filled with plants that require constant water to thrive, just like the pumpkin plant I showed you in the front. You would never plant a pumpkin plant in the desert. But he's saying he will turn your drought, your desert, into a place where even if you're as needy as a pumpkin plant, you will thrive. You will be miraculously out of place. In a culture, you will be stunningly beautiful against a backdrop that's desert. That you will have abundance in a land of scarcity. This is our inheritance. That's good news. We should, that I'm giving you permission to cheer on the inside. Yes, this is our inheritance. And Jesus later on, in John, chapter, in John chapter 7, later in the book, he cries out to his friends. And yes, in this, in this instance, you can cry out in church over something. He says, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood amongst his friends and cried out saying, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Can you hear the psalmist prophesying about you will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water? Can you hear the prophets Isaiah and Jeremiah and Zechariah prophesying about the mirage of burning sands becoming an actual lake that where you could be as needy as a pumpkin plant or a reed or a, a marshland flowering reed in the middle of a desert and and yes, you will thrive because he has turned the mirage into a real lake that will really satisfy. He will really satisfy your thirst on the inside. But as, as he spoke, this is 39, but as he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Friends, I have a news flash for you. Jesus has been glorified. The Holy Spirit has been given. We're living in those days. Let Jesus meet you at the well you've been drawing from. Maybe it's the well of shame. Maybe it's the well of pride. Maybe it's the well of lust or appetite of the flesh or 
Whatever well it is, that's not an exhaustive list, but whatever well you've been drawing from, and say, if there's a fountain available to you inside you, why do you keep going to the other wells? Why? If you only knew the gift, the grace of God, he has transformed the well into a fountain. He himself is the fountain. Come, let's drink from him, not from a well that we have to work at, but a fountain who is bringing rivers of living water to us on the inside. Let your heart go down deep into that river. Come and drink from him today.